Last week we talked about the issue of conceit because we heard Paul end chapter five of Galatians with these words. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then Paul opened chapter six by changing gears and telling us how to respond to the brother or sister who has blundered their way into sin through ignorance, mistakes, or foolishness and been overtaken by a sin. Paul wrote in Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted." And we learned that those two commands from Paul really work together because if we're conceited, if we're self-absorbed, we will either feel superior and look down on the believer who's caught in sin because they make us feel more righteous, or we will feel inferior, which will make us envy the life they're living, however sinful it is, or we will crave their approval so much that we won't actually risk confronting their sin because the worst thing that could happen to us is that they might not like us and then that would take a source of affirmation away from us and we don't wanna risk that. But someone who's walking in the spirit, a genuine brother or sister in the faith will accept their responsibility to help even though it might be painful. We learned last week that the original Greek word that's used there for restore refers to setting a broken or dislocated bone. If you've ever had something dislocated in your body, then you know it hurts real bad to have it reset, but then things get better. And you do it because having that part of your body out of place, out of sync with the rest of your body causes ongoing pain and discomfort. And you realize that some focused, intense, Temporary pain is worthwhile if it means your body being restored to full health. That's the picture of what the believer is to do for the brother or sister who's overtaken by a sin. They're to love them enough to help them fix what is broken even though it might be a little painful. If we're walking in the spirit and remember that it could easily be us in that situation next time, We won't approach that person from the place of inferiority or superiority. We'll approach them in selfless love. Well, this week, Paul is gonna continue to talk about how we can practically love one another. Then he's gonna talk about one of the most important laws in all of the universe. It's a law that affects every single one of us without exception, and it's one of the most important principles to understand if you wanna have a blessed life. As we walk in the spirit, living lives that are led by the spirit of God rather than our own flesh, our identity becomes rooted in Jesus, which means that we don't have to look at other people anymore to find our sense of worth and value. We're getting it from God, who he says we are and what he says about us. And as we find our identity in Jesus, we're able to start loving and serving other people genuinely because we're no longer doing it for selfish reasons. We're not serving people because we need their approval or their affirmation or their attention. And we're not serving people because we have a need to feel superior to them. We're not seeking those who are less fortunate than ourselves so that we can feel better about ourselves. We're genuinely loving them. Verse two, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
In the Greek, the, the verb tense means keep on, do it continuously, keep on bearing one another's burdens. And it's connected to verse one, which talks about restoring the brother or sister who's been overtaken by a sin. The idea is that if that brother or sister has repented and been restored, that what we are to then do is not to go, good, so we're done. We're to walk alongside them because it's often after repenting of a sin that Satan goes all in on attacking a person to try and get them to fall back into it, that they'll become devastatingly discouraged or defeated. And so what Paul says is, is, hey, listen, in that time when they've repented, they've been restored, come alongside them and walk with them. Make sure that they're gonna be okay spiritually, emotionally, physically, in every way. The believers who confronted that person are called to walk alongside them and and help them by doing things like regularly asking them honest and direct questions. How are you doing with this thing? How are you doing with it? Remember that if a person's genuinely repented, they're not gonna say, well, that's none of your business. Stop bringing it up. If a person's genuinely repented of an addiction, they're not offended when you say, how are you doing with this? If they're offended, then they, they haven't really repented of it. So what we're to do is with the person who's repented, ask them how they're doing, pray with them, encourage them, make sure that they're really okay. The believer who's been restored also has the responsibility to let his brothers or sisters help carry that load. The believer who's been restored doesn't get to just say it, say at home and say, why is nobody calling me? Why isn't anybody following up on me? Why isn't anybody knocking on my door bringing me dinner? They have a responsibility to seek out brothers and sisters who can help them carry that load. They have to make the effort to get to a group Bible study. They have to make the effort to find someone that they can meet with and say, hey, can we meet once a week and just go through the word and just pray together? Can you just help keep me accountable? They've got to put that effort in as well. There's responsibility on both sides. Don't forget that the simple act of just Praying with other believers is so much more powerful than we could ever possibly imagine. Just getting together and saying, will you pray with me about this? God moves through that. Remember what James 5.16 says. It's on your outlines. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be, what does it say? Healed. That you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Do you get the context? We, we always love that. The, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We, we love to quote that on its own, but it's in the exact same verse as where James is talking about meeting together, confessing the sins you're struggling with, having people pray for you that you might be healed. Why? Because there's power in having other believers pray for you. There's power in that. And I always want to point this out. Remember that The Bible says if you confess your sins to the Lord, he's faithful to do what? To forgive you, to forgive you. James says, but if you confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another, you'll be what? You'll be healed, you'll be healed. There's something different that happens when we confess sin to one another and ask for prayer and receive prayer. We're forgiven by the Lord when we confess our sins to the Lord, but there's a different level of healing when we get our brothers or sisters involved in the process. That's the way the Lord has designed it to work. So write this down. The restored brother or sister is to share their burden with those who restored them. They're to share their burden 
with those who restored them. Even if that means, hey, we we meet every week and we say, man, I, I messed up again. Will you pray for me? Yes, again, every week, every week, every time you get together till you experience that healing. Bearing one another's burdens is just part of the call that God's placed on each of our lives to serve others. In John 13, 34, also on your outlines, Jesus said famously to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. That's the law of Christ that Paul is talking about here in verse two. It's the command of Jesus to love one another. The question will often get asked, well, well, what does God want me to do with my life? Like, what's my life purpose? Jesus actually told us when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, this should be on your outlines too, you'll recall Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' words are often summed up today as simply love God and love people. We're gonna talk about this a little bit more, but write this down right now. God's desire for us is an outward focused life where we love him first, which naturally results in us loving people an outward focused life where we love him first and the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we grow in our relationship with him, the more like him we become, the more we naturally love people. And Jesus, of course, is the ultimate example. He's the ultimate embodiment of that because he said himself, the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So what am I supposed to do with my life, Jeff? What what does God want me to do? What's my life purpose? to love God and to love people. And I think those two things should be enough to keep you busy for a while. Because there's a whole lot of God to get to know. (laughs) And loving people doesn't actually come naturally to any of us. We've all got a lot of growing to do. Devote yourself and your life to getting to know the Lord. Get to know him in his word. Learn how to talk to him throughout the day, conversely, in in prayer. Become a worshiper in your daily life. And then learn about people. Learn about your issues so you can learn to love people. Learn about other people's issues so you can love them better and serve them better. Learn how to serve willingly rather than bitterly. If you've got all that down, then you can come to me and say, Jeff, I need help with my life purpose. When you've mastered all that, then let's talk about your life purpose. And here's the good news. If there's anything else along the way, along the journey of life, that the Lord wants you to do, Psalm 84 says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold. That simply means in this context, if you're walking in the spirit, if you're saying, Lord, I'm gonna do what you said, I'm gonna focus on loving you and loving people, if you're doing that, God's not gonna let you miss anything else that he has for you along the way. He's not gonna let you miss any other part of your calling. He's gonna make sure you get the message. So don't get restless and don't buy into the marketing of the world that would lead you to believe that loving God and loving people is not enough. It's not a serious enough purpose for your life. It's not significant enough because it is the whole purpose of life. It's the whole deal. And as we mentioned last week, the more we shift the focus off of ourselves, the happier we'll be. The happier we'll be. 
when we don't get our significance from other people, we don't burden our relationships or other people with expectations that they can't possibly meet. We don't poison our relationships with selfish motivations, which means that we can actually enjoy people more than we ever have before because we don't need to get something back from them. Love God, love people, that's a lifetime project. And God will send some other stuff along the way, but that's the goal. Love is always easier when it's in the abstract, isn't it? When we talk about it as just a lofty concept, love doesn't require anything of us when we talk about it that way. But Paul starts sharpening our focus when he tells us that love is going to lead us to bear one another's burdens. And so the picture we're supposed to have in our mind here for verse 2 is somebody who's carrying a load on their shoulders. And then we come along and we get underneath that same load with them. And we transfer some of that weight onto our shoulders, lightening the load for them. The load could be physical, could be emotional, could be spiritual, whatever. And this kind of serving love, for example, is is right at the heart of Christian marriage where the loads of life are shared. Managing a home, raising kids, earning income, and on and on the list goes. That's why marriage is such a great place to grow in love because there's literally endless opportunities to bear one another's burdens. And often when marriages get into trouble is when one person says, I don't want to bear my part of that burden anymore. I don't want to do that. But it's by designs that we could become more like Jesus that God says, no, in marriage is a great place to learn how to bear one another's burdens. It's also likely that Paul's taking a swipe at the Judaizers, still here in verse six, because he refers to the law of Christ, which is loving one another, And then he says that the law of Christ will lead you to bear one another's burdens. The law of Christ, which is love, will cause you to lighten the load of others. It's seemingly an intentional contrast to the Judaizers who were actually seeking to place the burden, the yoke of the Old Testament law on the shoulders of the Galatians. They were doing the exact opposite. They were adding burdens to the Galatians instead of lifting them. And as followers of Jesus, we don't live this way to try and earn points with God or earn favor with God or because it's the rule. We, we bear the burdens of others because Jesus bore our burdens. We're not following rules. We're following a person. We're following Jesus. We're following the example of Jesus. Then in verse 3, Paul says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, underline he is nothing, He deceives himself. Now notice that Paul doesn't say when he thinks he is nothing. He makes a statement. He says when he is nothing. He is nothing. Here's the idea. None of us are too good to serve other people. Every single one of us was hopelessly lost and unable to save ourselves. That's why Jesus had to save us. And that same Jesus didn't consider himself above serving other people, literally washing their feet. So none of us are greater than Jesus, but that's what we're claiming when we tell ourselves that we're above serving certain kinds of people. And I know that we all might think, well, Jeff, I would never, ever think that way. But I think it happens far more easily than we might expect. There's certain types of service where what we tell ourselves is, you know, I'm, 
I'm just too educated for that. that that's not my wheelhouse. Or I'm too wealthy for that. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm too old for that. Or, or that's, that's beneath my station in life. Or, you know, I just, I just don't feel called to do that. In churches, the, the example every pastor gives when they preach on this is the classic example of stacking chairs in church. If you have a church where you have to stack chairs before or after the service. Because do you know who feels called to that ministry? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody is like, listen, I'm here at your church. I've been to like three other churches and uh, there just wasn't a place for me to operate in my gift. Oh, what's your gift? Stacking chairs. That's never, ever happened in any church. Do you know who does it? People who recognize that there are chairs that need to be stacked and they want to serve their church family and love them in a practical way. Do you know that not everyone who serves in children's ministry feels called? Not every parent who serves in children's ministry is saying, you know what, I've been with my kids all week, but it's just not enough. I, I need more, more time with more children. That's what I really want. That's not what's happening. They just recognize that there's a need and they follow in the footsteps of Jesus by serving. And when we tell ourselves that we're above certain kinds of service, above helping people carry certain types of burdens, Paul would say, hey, don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Look at the example of Jesus. You're not more important than him. You're not better than him. Verse four, Paul says, now underline this first part here, but let each one examine his own work. Let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So what keeps you from getting too big for your britches? What keeps you from thinking that you're more important than you really are? Paul gives the solution here in verse four. It's examining your own work. So once again, Paul calls us to stay away from comparing ourselves to others and instead focus on what God is calling us to do, how he's calling us to live, the work he's trying to accomplish in us. Do you realize when you get to heaven, God is not gonna say, listen, I know you tried your best, but did you see how many people Billy Graham led to me? Did you see that in that life? Millions of people, just, just a few for you. It's not really all that impressive, is it? God is not going to ask you why you didn't fulfill Billy Graham's calling. Why didn't you fulfill the Apostle Paul's calling? Our job is to fulfill our calling. Each of us is to live the life that God has called us to live. There's no rewards, there's no crowns, there's no commendations in heaven for living somebody else's life or living out somebody else's calling, only yours. So write this down. The believer stays humble by focusing on faithfulness to God's unique calling on their life. The believer stays humble by focusing on faithfulness to God's unique calling on their life. So Paul says that when we rejoice over what God is doing in our life, it shouldn't be because we're comparing ourselves to others like, oh, Oh, the Lord's made me patient, just so much more patient than them especially. He's saying don't compare yourself to others. He said rejoice when God works in your life because you're comparing yourself to yourself. 
to who you used to be. And you're seeing that God is growing you, that he's changing you, and he's making you more like him. It's rejoicing from the place of praise God because while I'm not yet who I desire to be, I'm not who I used to be because God is working in my life. It's a joy, it's a boasting and excitement about what God is doing in your life, not about how you are better than anybody else. Paul says that's the solution. Focus on God's calling for your life. Compare yourself against yourself. Rejoice when you recognize that God is at work in you, growing you and making you more like him. Compare yourself to yourself, compare yourself to Jesus, but never to anybody else. There's no point, there's no fruit, there's no benefit to that. And then in verse five he says, for each one shall bear his own load, each one shall bear his own load. Now this is not contradicting verse two, even though it might sound like it. It's a different word being used here. The the word load here in verse five speaks of a soldier's pack, or we might say a backpack. Uh, To put it another way then, verse two is referring to a heavy weight, a heavy burden or load. And so the point Paul is making is this. We all have a unique calling. God has a different plan for each of our lives. It takes different work in each of us to make us more like Jesus. And every one of our lives will follow a different path. The way that we become more like Jesus is different for each of us because we're all different. And because of that, God gives each of us a different set of difficulties in life. A different set of challenges. A different set of opportunities. Different weaknesses, different gifts. All those things are part of our own load to carry that we get to work through with the Lord, that God gives us so we will grow in our dependence, not on others, but on him, so that we will change in the way that we need to to become more like Jesus. And those things that are our own load, they are our own responsibility to carry in this life with the Lord, between us and the Lord. When we understand this, we realize that we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to others in the faith because we can't compare ourselves to others in the faith. We have no idea what their starting point was. We have no idea what their load is. We have no idea what load they were born with or what they picked up over the course of their life. It would be as foolish as me taking pride in the fact that I have a better vertical than a guy who's had both of his legs amputated. That's what it would be like. Man, look, I can now jump this guy by like 40 inches. This is unbelievable how good I am at jumping. Based on what? Well, compared to this guy, well, well have you noticed he has no legs? Can't, can't really make that comparison, Jeff. That's what it's like when we say, oh, man, it's, it's incredible how much better I am than this person. You have no idea what their starting point is. Or when we say, oh, I, I can't believe how inferior I am to this person. You have no idea what their starting point was what they're going through in other areas. You can't compare because none of us are the same in any way. The load that the Lord gives us to carry in life is different for each of us and tailor-made for each of us. Similarly, I'd be really stupid to take pride in feeling like I have great self-control when I see another believer being irritable. And I go, oh man, so immature. Thank goodness I'm not like that. Because here's what I don't know. Again, I don't know where they started. The truth is that they might be irritable now, but they might be light years away 
from where they were. Just a couple of years ago, that might have been shouting and cussing in the middle of church. I have no idea what their starting point was. The truth is, they might have made so much more progress than I have. Even though from the outside, it looks like I'm at a better place. I might have only grown this much, but they've grown this much. We have no idea what's going on with anyone else. And so the more you focus on carrying the load that God has given you, the more gracious you're going to be with other people. The slower to judge you're going to be with other people in their own walk with the Lord. And understanding all this is also helpful to those of us who are wired in such a way that we want to help everybody. I can't really relate to feeling that way, but people tell me that some people struggle with that. And some people actually feel guilty if they have to say no to someone who asks for help. But Paul makes it very clear here. If a believer needs help carrying a heavy load, we're to do what we can to help them. If, however, they're simply having a bit of a hard time carrying their own load, we're to let them know, hey brother, hey hey sister, That's just your own load. And so that means that the Lord has made available to you in him everything that you need to be able to carry that load successfully. I can't help with that because what you need is only gonna be found in the Lord. I'm not meant to help with this. It's something that the Lord is letting you carry so that you will go to him and grow closer to him in relationship with him by sharing this scenario with him. And so while I love you, I need to let you know in this case, I cannot be the Lord because this is part of your own load. This is part of your own journey for you and the Lord to carry together. We can pray with them. We can remind them of God's promises, but we're meant to help with those heavy loads, those extra difficult and challenging seasons in life, those sins that really get a hold of a person. We're not called to go and mow our brother's lawn because he's finding working 40 hours a week kind of tiring. That's not what we're called to do. We're not called to give money to brothers or sisters who can't figure out how to run a budget. They've got all the money they need, they're just not managing it well. We're not to invest time in meeting with a believer every week who refuses to have their own relationship with the Lord. We're not meant to go meet with someone every week who says they're a believer and they're just using you as free counseling to talk and talk and have you listen, but you know that they never talk to the Lord. They never get in the word for themselves. They never pray. You're just subbing in for God and you can't actually help them with that. That's their own load that they're meant to carry with the Lord. We're not to outsource burdens that we're supposed to bear ourselves. We're not to try and outsource them onto other people when they're part of our own load. We're to take them to the Lord directly and find grace to help in time of need, as Hebrews says. At the same time, we're not to bear burdens that are too heavy, that God has intended to be shared among our brothers and sisters. When we need prayer and help, we're to ask for it and we're to actively seek it out. And we can't talk about loads and burdens and weights without remembering what Jesus said about them. Some of my favorite words in all of the Bible, they're on your outlines. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. 
And if you've walked with the Lord more than a month, then you know that the load the Lord has asked you to carry as your own load, me as, as my own load, seems to almost be dynamic. What I mean by that is it doesn't seem to always weigh the same every day. Some days it feels a whole lot heavier than others. And when it does, I have to remind myself of these words of Jesus along with the words of Paul because if my load feels overwhelmingly heavy, there's only two possible explanations. This is huge. I would say if there's only one thing I want you to get out of the message today, it's this, but there's something else that's really good. So this is one of two things. But really, really tune in here. If you feel like the, the load you're carrying in life, the weight of it all is just too much for you to bear, there's only two possible explanations. The first is that it's a heavy load. It's a verse two kind of load that's meant to be shared with brothers or sisters and you're trying to carry it alone. You're trying to carry it alone. The other possible explanation, write this down, is that I'm carrying something Jesus hasn't asked me to carry. I'm carrying something Jesus hasn't asked me to carry. Why would you say that, Jeff? Well, because Jesus said that his yoke was easy and his burden was light. So I should be doing what Peter told me to do, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. I need to remember what the writer of Hebrews told us when he said, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If there's an overwhelming weight on me, a burden that is crushing me, those are the only two explanations. It's a load that's meant to be shared or I've added something to my load that Jesus has actually asked me to give to him. I'm not meant to be carrying it at all. Examine yourself if you feel weighed down in life and ask which one of those situations you're in if you feel too weighed down. In all of these instructions, Paul is also speaking to the Galatians about the effect the teaching of the Judaizers was having on them. You see, they had embraced a workspace gospel which filled them with pride because they looked down on those who weren't obeying the law or going under the law or doing as well as them under the law. Or it filled them with envy when they looked at those who were under the law and doing a better job at following it than they were. They were finding their identity in their works, in the law, instead of in Christ. And this made them selfish and insecure. It made them incapable of fulfilling the law of Christ, which is the law to love and serve and restore and bear one another's burdens. Verse six now, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Now I know that the most popular interpretation of this verse is that it's talking about the responsibility of believers to financially support their pastors and teachers. That's a true principle, it's a command that's given more than once in the New Testament but when you look at what Paul has been talking about in the verses leading up to this, I don't think it makes any sense to draw the conclusion that that's what he's talking about here because it would be a complete right turn from everything else he's talking about in this chapter and have no connection to anything else. This verse can more accurately be rendered this way. Let him who receives instruction share with him who gives instruction in all good things 
The word share there is koinoneo in the Greek, which is most frequently translated to English as the word fellowship. The idea is, is sharing in something together equally. And the phrase good things is a Greek word which is used in the New Testament to usually talk about spiritual or moral excellence. And so when you put all this together without getting into too deep of a study, the picture that's painted is that the brother or sister who confronts the believer who's overtaken in sin and then helps restore them is to also build them up in the word. They're to come together around the word of God and share in the word of God, in the good things of the word of God together. It doesn't necessarily mean, again, meeting one-on-one. It could be a group Bible study. But again, the person who's been restored is to prioritize that, being with other believers around the word of God and around prayer because that's where we're built up in our faith. It's just that simple. Now, after talking about confronting and restoring the brother or sister who's been overtaken by sin, Paul is now going to address the overtaken brother or sister who says, nah, I don't want that. You go to them and you say, listen, there's this sin in your life. Here it is in the word of God. It's very clear that you're not walking with the Lord and I don't want to see bad things come into your life. I don't want to see you experience the negative consequences of your decisions. So repent and come back to the Lord and they go, nah, I'm all good you know, the grace of God and all that stuff. And instead they resent, they actually resent being rebuked and having help offered to them. To that person now in verse seven, Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. If you don't have it underlined, underline whatever a man sows that he will also reap. This is a principle of life that applies to everything and affects everyone just as much as the physical laws of the universe like gravity do. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. And to the believer who rejects being rightly confronted, rebuked, and called to repentance, God says, listen, you're mocking me. You're rejecting me. You're turning up your nose at me. You're treating me with contempt. And Paul's point is simple. If you choose to reject God when he tries to work good in your life, there will be consequences. There will be natural consequences. He says, don't think you're the one person in the universe who's exempt from this universal law. That's like thinking you're the only person who doesn't have to follow the law of gravity. That you can jump off buildings and not be injured because somehow the rules don't apply to you. He's saying it's the same with sowing and reaping. Don't think that somehow you're going to turn up your nose at God, reject God, but but nothing's going to come from that. In verse 8, he explains how it works. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. That word corruption can also be rendered disintegration. And I like that word a lot more because it's, it's such a vivid picture. It means that, that living for the flesh just leads to things falling apart. Falling apart. It leads to hurt, pain, confusion, anger, angst, disappointment, emptiness, all those things. And we talked about this verse at length when we studied the life of Jacob back in Genesis 29 a while ago. But it bears repeating here because in every one of our lives, In every area of our lives, the principle of sowing and reaping is at work, either producing life or producing disintegration right now. 
And the first thing we need to understand about this law, write this down, is that the law of sowing and reaping tells us we cannot expect to reap where we haven't sown. We cannot expect to reap where we haven't sown. We cannot expect to return where we haven't invested. If you've never planted apple trees in your garden, you have no reason to stand in your yard five years from now, scratch your head and exclaim aloud, where are all the apple trees? Why are there no apple trees? It's really simple. If you don't sow, there is zero chance that you will reap. Absolutely none. The second thing we need to understand about this law, we can write this down too, is that it tells us we will reap in accordance with the type of seeds we sow. We will reap in accordance with the type of seeds we sow. If you do plant apple seeds, you have a reason to expect apple trees. If you plant apple seeds, you do not have a reason to expect orange trees to grow. But when you play this out across life, especially for the believer too, it's amazing how often we'll get mad at God because we're not getting a harvest in an area of life where we haven't sown anything. Or we'll get mad at God that we're not reaping a harvest of something good when we've only sown something bad. Why aren't I getting a great harvest when I've only sown a little? We act like these things are mysteries, but they're essentially self-explanatory. You cannot sow nachos and reap a six-pack. And if you can, shut up about it because everybody hates people who have metabolism like that. You should know this. You cannot ignore your marriage, fail to invest in it, fail to prioritize it, and expect to have a great marriage. Can't say, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know why we're just not as close as we used to be. It's not a mystery. You sowed this, now you're reaping this. We cannot expect the blessings of God in an area of life where we refuse to do things God's way. Cannot get romantically involved with a non-believer and then wonder why it seems like there's intimacy missing from your marriage. We cannot walk with God while simultaneously rejecting God. Why don't I feel like God is with me when we're sinning intentionally in an ongoing way in this one area of our life? We cannot expect God to fix our lives while we're rejecting the work that he tries to do in our lives. Lord, fix my life. Okay, do this. No, some other way. It doesn't work that way. You've got to sow if you want to reap. And if you want to reap something good, you've got to sow something good. The big picture that Paul wants us to see is that in every area of life, we're investing in one of two things. In our flesh, what we want, or in the spirit, which is what God wants. And because Paul loves the church, because God loves us, God wants us to understand how this works, this universal law. He says, I want you to understand that living for the flesh leads to corruption. It leads to disintegration. It leads to pain and hurt and all of those things. While living for the spirit leads to everlasting life. It leads to good things. And the Lord says, I want you to understand this, that the choice is simple. Wherever you want to experience life, invest in doing things the way of the Spirit. Invest in doing things God's way. Wherever you want to experience disintegration, 
Invest in doing things the way of the flesh. It will work out that way. Nobody will escape it. And here's the other thing too about this agricultural analogy of sowing and reaping. Something's gonna grow. Sooner or later, there's gonna be a harvest. So don't fool yourself by saying, oh, you know, but I'm, I'm sowing to the flesh in this one area and I don't seem to be reaping any disintegration. The analogy I tell my kids is that when you think you're getting away with sin, the best thing to think about is that it's really like a ladder. And the only thing I've told you is that at some point that ladder is gonna fall over while you're on it. And the longer you go getting away with sin, the further up the ladder you're climbing. And so you're thinking, this is so great. I'm getting away with this. This is unbelievable. I'm having such a good time. There's no consequences whatsoever. What's happening the longer you go on, the further up the ladder you go, it's gonna hurt a whole lot more when the ladder falls over. But the ladder is going to fall over with you on it. Nobody gets away with sin, ever, because of the law of sowing and reaping. And I mention this every time we talk about this. Parents, let me encourage you not to talk with your kids about behaviors and, and decisions and actions as good and bad. Because if they're a believer, all, all sin is forgiven. Talk with your kids about sowing and reaping. Let them know that if they choose to follow the flesh, if they choose to sin and go in that direction, the Lord will still love them. They're not in danger of God not loving them. They're not in danger of losing their salvation. God will still love them. Jesus still paid for their sin. They're still forgiven. But they're going to reap what they sow. They're going to experience hurt and pain and disintegration in their lives. Let them know that because we love them as their parents, we want them to experience the fullness of life. We want them to experience joy and, and love and peace. We want them to walk in the ways of the Lord, not because we want them to be good boys or good girls, but because we want good things for them, and God's way is the only way that leads to those things. And so our kids need to understand that because it's not about as they get older whether mom or dad find out. It's not like it's only bad if I get caught. They need to understand the truth that even if mom or dad never find out, they're gonna reap what they sow. And because we love them, we wanna see them sow good seeds so that they can reap a harvest of life and good things. It's not about appearances. It's not about making them or us look bad or pretending to be good or anything like that. It's about sowing and reaping and saying, hey, because I love you, I want to see you reap everlasting life in every area of your life. I want good things for you. Verse 9, Paul says, and let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall, underline the word shall, we shall reap. And then underline the word if, if we do not lose heart. I love this verse. I love this verse because just like I said, don't, don't think when you sow to the flesh and it takes a while for something to grow that you're getting away with it. The flip side of that is this. Don't think that if you've sown to the spirit and you've trusted God and there's no harvest yet, don't think it's not coming. 
The Bible says here, listen, it is. Paul is saying, I know it gets hard sometimes. I know that sometimes it feels like the life that God promised is not showing up in that area of life. And you've been putting him first. Paul says, don't give up. It's coming. It's coming. Do not lose heart. Keep the faith. Do not give up. It doesn't say for in due season we might reap. It doesn't say for in due season perhaps we shall reap. It says for in due season what we shall reap. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. But it's not a guarantee for everyone. There's a condition attached to it. It's a promise for the one who does what? Doesn't lose heart. Doesn't lose heart. The one who says, I'm doing things God's way, and I don't care how long it takes, I know, I know that it's gonna pay off because my God always keeps his promises. He always has, and he always will. So I'm okay to wait. I'd love it to be right now, but here's what I know. It's coming. It's coming. Listen, sometimes people invest in their marriage over and over and over again, and the marriage still falls apart. But God's word promises that the person who does things God's way through all that has a harvest of blessings coming their way. You might be tithing and and still lose your job one day. Keep the faith. Keep doing things God's way because God's word says if you do, he's gonna bless you. You're going to reap a good harvest. Don't panic. Don't lose heart. Don't sow for one month seed and go, where's the plants? Where's the plants? I guess there's no point in doing this. Let's just dig up all the ground and build houses on it or something like that. Don't don't give up. Don't lose heart. Trust in the promises of God and keep doing good. Believe it even when you can't see it. Just like the farmer does. For a long time, that's just a field of dirt. But he knows there's something going on beneath the surface. Something is happening where the eye cannot see. But there's a harvest coming. Would you write this down? Trusting God is never in vain. Trusting God is never in vain. Verse 10, he says, therefore, meaning because we know that God is gonna let us reap if we're faithful to sow. Because we understand that, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. And I love that Paul calls the chance to do good an opportunity because it is just that. It's an opportunity to sow something good. Sow something good, which God promises will result in us reaping something good. And I also appreciate the fact that Paul doesn't want us to get overwhelmed, so he puts in there, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity. I'm thankful for that. We're not supposed to feel like we have to go out and fix everything that's wrong with the world. Because I don't know if you figured this out yet, only God can do that, and he will. But we're called in the meantime to do good in the opportunities that God brings across our path. We're to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives and obey him as he calls us to do good. Who has God brought into your life today? Who has he brought across your path today? Those are the people you're supposed to do good to. And then he says, would you underline this? Especially to those who are of the household of the faith. 
especially to those who are of the household of the faith. While we're to look to do good for everybody, he's very clear we are to prioritize those who are of the household of the faith, those who belong to the church. We're to make sure that we prioritize them ahead of those who do not belong to the church. The idea is simply that we're supposed to take care of family, the family of faith, before we take care of those who are not a part of the family of faith. It applies, uh, this applies to practical needs, financial needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, all of those things. The, the idea is this, it would be wrong for you to be able to find the time to go and help your neighbor fix their car if your mom or dad have been asking you to help them fix theirs for months. You'd be a bad son be a bad daughter if you did that because you're supposed to take care of your own family first before you take care of others. That is the idea here. That's the picture. Because one of the great testimonies of the church is supposed to be the way that we take care of each other. The world is supposed to look at that and say, man, they, they care for each other in a way that normal people don't, especially people who only have the church in common. They're from all these different backgrounds and they care for each other. What's going on? There's a lot I could say about this, but I'm just gonna sum it up by saying that the church is to meet the needs inside before it meets the needs outside. That's what Paul is saying. I'm gonna wrap up with this. If we're trying to walk in victory over a sin or, or that's something we've repented of, I can't encourage us enough to prioritize getting around other believers. Yes, it takes time. It's not convenient. We're all busy. But if you're carrying a weight that is meant to be shared, you've gotta get yourself somewhere where you can share it. Get yourself to a woman's group, to a men's group. Ask someone in the church to meet once a week. You've gotta do that, you've gotta seek that out or the load isn't gonna get lighter. If there's a sin that you need to be healed of, if there's a healing you need in your life, share it, have people pray for you on a consistent basis. That's what the word says. I know it's not convenient, but it is vital. It is how God has set things up to work and he didn't give us another option. That's how he set it up to work. And let me say this to encourage you. Really hear me on this. The value of the harvest, the value of the harvest is always far greater than the cost of the seed. The value of the harvest is always far greater than the cost of the seed. And here's what I know, because we're all people. I know that some of us are agonizing over what we perceive as the cost of doing things God's way in a certain area of our lives. And if that's you, you need to hear this. The value of the harvest is always far greater than the cost of the seed. What God is gonna do if you will trust him in that area of your life is going to be so significant that you will look back and you will laugh at yourself that you ever had the thought, I just don't know if the price is too high to be obedient to the Lord in this area. The Lord will make sure if you will trust him that you look back and say, that is the best thing I ever did in that area of my life was do things the Lord's way because what he did, I, I could not do. I could not do. We don't get to choose the timing of the harvest. We don't get to choose. It'd be great if we could, but we don't get to choose when the harvest springs up. 
But not only do we get to choose, we actually have to decide whether or not we will sow the seeds. If you've been faithful to sow, then just know this, you will reap. And really hear this, if you have sown well, you will reap, you will. You don't have to believe me, believe the Lord, believe his word, you will reap if you don't give up, if you don't give up. So some of you, if you're, if you're close to that point of giving up, just begin to speak out and confess the promises of God, pray them, stand on them. I don't care if you don't believe them right now, speak them out until you do. Stand on them, just keep repeating them. Don't allow the alternative doubt in your mind. Get it out of your head and just hold on to the promise and repeat it until you believe it, until faith comes back again. You will reap, you will reap if you don't lose hope, if you don't lose hope. So with that, let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for your promises, God. Thank you that you promise where we trust you, we will get to see a harvest. We will see it with our own eyes. We'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living, Lord. And so, Father, I pray right now for, for any of us who has had a hard time having faith that we're gonna reap something good if we trust you. God, would you just stir faith in each of us to trust you in that area of life? Forgive us for not doing it, but give us the courage and the boldness and the wisdom to say, starting right now, starting today, I'm gonna to begin sowing to the Spirit. I'm gonna begin trusting God because I believe that the harvest that he will bring into my life, if I'll do that, is so much greater than the cost of the seed. And if you've been sowing well, and it just seems like it's taking forever to see the harvest, don't lose hope, don't lose hope. Paul says you will reap, you will reap if you do not lose hope. So Father, I pray right now for any among us who might be in that place, if we're honest, where we just say, I'm losing hope, I'm losing hope and I don't know what to do about it. Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, would you restore hope right now? Would you give the gift of faith where it is waning. Would you fill us up full again, Lord, with your promises, with the memory of all the ways that you've taken care of us before. Would you bring to mind your perfect track record of faithfulness in our lives, that we would be quick to remember and slow to forget your many kindnesses to us, God. All the ways you've taken care of us before. And then Lord, from a place of faith, we speak out, Lord, we believe we will reap a harvest where we have sown. We believe it, Lord. Father, I pray as well for any of us struggling in isolation right now with a burden too great to carry on our own, with a sickness, with a sin that we need healing from. Father, would you help us to seek out fellowship with other believers to experience the healing and the lightening of the load that you have designed the church to be able to give us. Help us not to stay in isolation. 
but to take advantage of the gift of the church, Jesus. So Father, you know what each of us needs, Holy Spirit, you know where we're deficient, where we need a boost, where we need to be filled up again, and we just pray in the name of Jesus that you would meet every one of our needs represented in this room right now. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.